Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Christopher Beekler. Hello, it's Chris from closebrace.com. I'm going to be live from Providence, Rhode Island. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. So last week, we talked about what is JavaScript, and I thought we had a really terrific conversation about that. Yeah. And I wanted to follow it up this week with a, you know, where can you write JavaScript? Like, what can people do with it and what, what the capabilities are? And so I'm curious, Chris, what kinds of things have you built with JavaScript? So I guess I would separate my JavaScript projects into a couple of different areas, maybe a few more than a couple. I have built extensive stuff on the front end. I've used JavaScript on websites as a, a tool for event capturing or for DOM manipulation, that kind of stuff. In addition to that, I have done work with JavaScript via Node.js as a backend tool. Well, specifically, I've worked uh, extensively with the Express web server. And so that's sort of creating a lot of CRUD APIs and that sort of thing to talk to the websites uh, that I'm typically building on the front end as well. In addition to that, I've used JavaScript a little bit in two areas that I would like to actually expand on some more, which is really low-level Node.js, working with the file system and building command line applications. I've done a little bit of that, but not an extensive amount. Other area that I would love to get more involved in doing is I've done a little bit of graphics manipulation uh, using the HTML canvas, which is technically on a web page, but it's a bit of a different thing. And uh, I haven't touched any kind of WebGL or anything like that, but it is definitely of interest to me. I used to work in the video game industry, and I'm, I'm always kind of curious about how much smaller indie games and such are going to ship to the browser over the next uh, 10 years or so. I think there's a lot of room for that to happen. Yep. Interesting. So for me, I mean, I've built some server scripting with JavaScript. I've done a bunch of front-end work, obviously, since most of my development experience is along the lines of web development with Rails and things like that. But yeah, the front-end, front-end frameworks. And I've I've kind of dabbled in a lot of things just because we have shows on different topics, right? So I've played a little bit with like Johnny5 and Cylon.js. I've played a bit with React Native, I've played a bit with... I actually forgot to mention that I've done some React Native work also. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to me just the fact that JavaScript seems to be able to run mostly anywhere. Mm-hmm. I've actually looked at, and there's an API for it, building Switch apps for the Nintendo Switch. Huh. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, so I kind of want to play with that. I think there's a way to write Xbox games or Xbox apps, again, with JavaScript. Yeah, it's it's kind of ubiquitous. It's kind of everywhere. And I'm really curious just as far as like, if, if you're interested in it, how do you figure out a way to do it? I think uh, I would guess that the vast majority of people come in via front-end development for the web. But I think more and more that's becoming not necessarily the way that you have to do it. You can probably uh, find people who have come in through, I think younger people in particular, uh, kids in their, maybe in their early teens to mid-teens who are really interested, again, in video games, may find that when they start Googling around for how do I make the video game, how do I build my own video game, they may end up, there are quite a few courses and actual entire platforms on the web for building JavaScript-based video games. I actually had somebody get in touch with me relatively recently whose son was trying to learn various JavaScript technologies, but he had gotten his start exactly in that manner by by wanting to make video games. Yeah, it seems a lot of people come in 
again, yeah, looking to build video games or things like that, right? I like playing these. I want to build them. Yeah. And that's, you know, when I was a much younger man myself, uh, that's how I got started in that industry as well. It was just, I, I really liked doing this stuff. So I wanted mm-hmm. to create as well as play. I think another area where people may come in, this one's probably a little more niche, is people who are looking to write some small utility applications for themselves and are just like, okay, what, what can I use to rapidly sort a bunch of files on my machine or that kind of thing, but specific in a way where I don't want to download somebody else's application to do what would be easier for me to just make one. That's a good entry point to Node.js, I think, is like, it's a little, it reminds me of working with batch files in MS-DOS way, way back in the day, mm-hmm. except vastly more powerful than, than what you could do with batch files. And so it seems like that could be an entry point. Although, again, I think that that one's... I feel like if you're reaching a point where you want to write your own programs to run in your uh, command line or terminal, that you're probably already into programming in some way. And you have probably already found your way to JavaScript or at least are aware of what JavaScript is uh, well before you're reaching a point where you're installing Node.js. Yeah, I've seen that too, where people, yeah, they're trying to build some small utility or get some, you know, get their hands around it. I also had somebody reach out to me about a DevOps tool written in JavaScript. Hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm seeing all kinds of stuff. And I think a lot of it just depends on, yeah, essentially where you come in and what people are paying you to do. And so, you know, you demonstrate a proficiency in JavaScript and then, you know, you wind up gaining expertise in a particular area like that where it's, okay, now we're going to build this internal tool or now we're going to build this web application or, you know, hey, we're going to use it over here to orchestrate Kubernetes or... Anyway, it, it's really fascinating just to see all the places that it can be used. The other thing is, is just the, the wide variety of solutions that people come up with that they write in JavaScript. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, web development, but you mentioned, for example, working in Canvas with JavaScript mm-hmm. versus, you know, a lot of people just do DOM manipulation type things. And maybe it's, you know, shadow DOM stuff under React or Angular Review, but still... It's manipulating the web page in, in various ways. Right. Controlling button state and that yeah. kind of thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the other things I've seen via the tutorials that I post, uh, people coming in frequently from other languages. And one of, one of the most common things is just people who are either tired of their jobs or have lost a coding job, an existing coding job for one reason or another, and are looking at the market and just going, if I want, jobs right now, the the tech that makes the most sense to learn is either JavaScript or, or arguably Python. And those two seem to be the really big popular languages at the moment in terms of what people are looking for on the job market. Yep. So, so one thing that I'm kind of wondering, and I have some ideas around this, I'm curious where you come down on this, but how many of these sort of different or non-traditional JavaScript options should people consider looking into? I mean, it's interesting because a lot of people, they'll, they'll live their whole JavaScript life, so to speak, in, in uh, you know, just doing web apps. In, in the browser, basically, right? Yeah. I really like Node.js. I think, it's a, I think it's an amazing tool. I always shied away in, in my earlier years from doing any kind of programming for my operating system because it felt aggressively difficult to learn to me at the time. I don't come from a traditional CS background, so I'm self-trained. And uh, my education was all 
design oriented rather than programming oriented. Node allows me to leverage the stuff that I learned from the browser in a, a different atmosphere. And so I think it's it makes OS level programming very accessible versus having to install a, you know a, a complete SDK and a the whole .NET thing and everything can be deeply confusing for newcomers and for veterans alike. I think Node is a, a great alternative use for JavaScript. Not to get into just you know explaining what technologies are, but for anybody who's listening who is uncertain, Node.js is a JavaScript engine. It's actually identical, or at least it was identical to the one that runs in Chrome, but it, it runs in a terminal window or a command prompt rather than running in a browser. And by nature of that, it gives you access to things that the browser typically doesn't have access to, like the file system. Generally speaking, for security, very good security reasons, web browsers have a hard time or an impossible time accessing your, your native file system for anything other than uploading and downloading files because you certainly don't want web pages just leaping onto your computer and messing around with your file system. But Node allows you greater access because it's running at an application level instead of at a browser level. You can do some really cool stuff with it. And the vast majority of the web application ecosystem at this point is built on modules that very frequently can run either as Node modules or as browser modules. You can compile into a a React bundle, but you can also very frequently use the same modules to do work locally. So I think that's a I think that's a great way to get into it or a great way to expand what you're doing with JavaScript if you're if you're interested in more than just DOM manipulation and event catching, if you're interested in getting out of the browser a little. That for me was my first step from you know f- exclusively front end work to more full stack work was getting involved in Node.js. And that really helped me learn how APIs work and how REST works and uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's interesting too because I remember several years ago when Node was new, you know, people were talking about this is a great way to script against the server, and uh, it, it really wasn't. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just it just wasn't. Yeah, but the last few years it has come a long, long way, and it's now it's faster. very yeah, and it's it's an elegant option now for a lot of these things. So yep. Yeah, I, I, I really, I really dig it for a lot of that stuff. I mean, I reach for Ruby just because I'm more familiar, but sometimes the evented model is more what I'm looking for. Yeah, you can, uh, you can definitely solve a lot of these same problems with other languages, and some of them are arguably, you know, better suited to the task. I don't think JavaScript is quite at a point where you could build. Well, it kind of is actually. That's a whole other area now. You can build an entire Windows application, a graphical application, not a not a command prompt application using JavaScript. That is completely doable, and uh, an awful lot of the what they were calling Metro apps at the time, although I think they discontinued that name, in Windows are are built using JavaScript exclusively. Now you're also seeing a lot of, I think, what are called portable web apps. Uh, for example, the Windows Twitter client is a PWA, and it's uh, unless I'm mistaken, it's built pretty much exclusively with with JavaScript and HTML and CSS, like a web page. It just runs mm. as an application. So we're we're reaching a point, and it's kind of like what I was talking about with video games, but a little bit further ahead, where the lines between an application level or an OS level application and a web application are really blurring. Uh, and I think JavaScript's popularity and ease of use or at least ease of getting into. We discussed the whole ease of use thing in the last episode. I think that that has really contributed to why this this blurring is happening. 
Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too. I mean, you're talking about some of these essentially desktop apps written in web technologies. And the thing that I keep seeing used is Electron. It's essentially a Chromium browser. And it just, you know, it doesn't have, I guess, the traditional Chrome around it, which is, you know, the the browser bar and the, you know, the, the home button and, and all that. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, then you see, yeah, you see all these apps being built in it. And it's not exactly the same as, you know, yeah, what you were talking about with the old Metro apps. And I can't remember what the name of them is now, but it's yeah. like the Microsoft design language or something, but it's, yeah, it probably has a snappier name than that. Yeah. But, but these are all built with uh, web technologies. And I think the one that most of our audience will be familiar with is Visual Studio Code is built with, with that stuff. So it's built with TypeScript and a bunch of other stuff. And anyway, it, it's awesome what you can get away with nowadays with JavaScript and just get those applications on the desktop. And I'm yeah. also aware, I've talked to a few people that are trying to figure out how to get things like native script and React Native to run on desktops. And so there, there are a lot of options and there's always interesting stuff going on there. Yeah, there's, there's a ton of development. It's a very large community. I'd actually completely forgotten that about VS Code, but it's um, uh, you're absolutely right that it's built with those technologies. And it really allows them to push out an amazing number of updates. That application is just constantly, constantly being updated. It also makes the, um, the whole extension market very easy for people to get into because you know now it, they're working in a language that they've probably been working in on the web for quite a while, mm-hmm. but you're writing extensions for an application with it. Yeah. Another one that gets me excited is... Uh... Again, going back to React Native, so you can write it and then uh, you know deploy apps. You you have to know a little bit of platform specific stuff, but mm-hmm. you know you can you can deploy it to iOS and to Android, but you can also deploy them to Apple TV because Apple TV runs TVOS, which is just kind of a a skinned over layer of of iOS. Huh. So it's it's interesting to see where the options are there. Another thing that's interesting about you know, some of these platforms here, because I, I love the idea of building a TV app. And that's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. But a lot of like the Roku, I think the Amazon Fire Stick, most of the smart TV appliances that you can get, you know, that just plug into your HDMI port. Most mm-hmm. of those use web technologies to build their apps as well. And so there, there are so many options. I've also seen like the in-dash stereo systems for cars. And a lot of those use web technologies to do their layouts and things and run JavaScript in the back end. It makes sense. Uh, you know, in, instead of trying to recreate the wheel, so to speak, in terms of JavaScript is a language that's extremely built at its core for visual interaction. You know, it originally was built to do stuff on the web, to, to make web pages more functional. And so it lends itself really well to those kind of applications, especially once you have some uh, some frameworks for dealing with touches and swipes and other gestures. Once you get that out of the way, it's it's um it's a really strong language for for visual mediums like that. Yeah. Well and the touch and swipe and things, that's all basically solved at this point in JavaScript. It's it's not like the old days where we were plugging in jQuery mobile and praying. So right, exactly. But yeah, I, I just, you know, I keep seeing it pop up in more and more places like that. And it's like Oh, so it runs in my car and it runs in my house and it runs on my TV. And it Another one that, that's fascinating to me is the Amazon and Alexa skills. So you, you have the skills that you write for the Echo and those are all written in JavaScript. In fact, you can pull down the developer version of the Echo engine and 
that's a Node.js app. Mm -hmm. I guess in a lot of cases also, that's employers leveraging the coders that they have. Uh, If you, you know, an awful lot of the modern tech companies, they all came out of the web. Amazon came out of the web, Google came out of the web, Facebook, Mm -hmm. etc., if they started with a core team of people who are coding for the web, they most likely grew to include, you know, in some of those cases, tens of thousands of people who learned how to code for the web. And so it, it makes sense to leverage the skill sets that you have available to you to, to produce this stuff. And especially, like you said, with, with Node.js advancing and improving and being actually capable of, of doing this kind of stuff. And for that matter, even with the, with the web, with browsers better supporting JavaScript and getting faster and faster at running JavaScript, Multiple companies are constantly working on engines and working on speed. You reach a point where all of a sudden it's like, oh, we can write apps with this. We don't need necessarily compiled code. We don't need OS native code. We can write, you know, single code base and have it run in multiple places. It makes maintenance easier. It makes, um, it keeps the size of your code base down. Overall, I think it's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of real strengths to working in a, a single language across as many things as you can manage. Yep, absolutely. Well, the other thing is, is then you also have setups where you share paradigms. So I've seen people, for example, they write their web app using React, and then they turn around and they write their desktop app using Electron and React. They use React Native for their mobile apps. And they, you know, and so you kind of see this kind of build out to all these other places. And, And that's fascinating to me as well. Just it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. It's really interesting too because it opens up ideas to you that you might not have even had before of like, oh, if I can if I can do this using tools and tech I already have and in some cases reusing big chunks of code base that already exists, it means the difference between not being able to create phone apps, let's say, for example, if you mm-hmm. if you have an existing web app but you have a small team and you don't have enough people back in the day, you would have needed Java coders for Android, you would have needed Objective-C coders for, for iOS. And now, you know, if you have a couple of React coders, they can probably pick up React Native pretty quickly. And then at that point, you can, it's, it's not exactly 100% a single code base, but it's close. Right. So you're, you're able to do three different user-facing applications with maybe 120% of the code base uh, instead of 300% of the code base. Right. Well, and, and it's all in the same language too. I mean, yeah. you don't have to go learn the nuances of Swift and then go learn the nuances of Kotlin and then go, you know, come back and learn the nuances of JavaScript. Right. Plus whatever backend language you're using, it, you know, you can write it all in the same language. Yep. The same programming paradigm. Absolutely. It's a really fun and powerful ecosystem to, to be a part of, especially right now where it's still really growing and evolving and new tech is becoming available and the existing tech is getting better at a very rapid rate. Yeah. You also mentioned uh, WebGL and that's another one that, that I'm kind of fascinated by a bit. But I've seen people doing things like virtual reality. Uh, some people call it WebVR, but then they stick it into a React Native app or an Electron or a Cordova app. If you don't know, it's another way of writing mobile apps. Cordova is, and it it uses web native stuff instead of uh, you know React uh, React Native renderer, which renders native UIs. But I've seen people build full on VR apps. You couldn't tell whether they were using Apple's VR engine or whether they were using you know WebGL on top of Ionic or Cordova. Yep. Well, and especially the amount of graphic processing power that's now available to people, even 
non-enthusiasts, just standard home users have quite a bit. And then when you get into to people who are actually gamers or alternately Bitcoin miners, the, the GPUs that are available are just insane. So you can do stuff using WebGL, uh, WebVR, whatever, that's amazing looking and silky smooth on a, a relatively mid-level computer. It doesn't have to be a, a $3,000 gaming beast or anything, which is a, you know, it's a fascinating thing for me because that's, again, I, I worked in, in that industry and I worked in it back in the days when Quake and Half-Life were the... Oh, uh, the good old days. <laughs> were, right, the height of graphics technology. We've come a long way since then. So it's funny to me to see graphical applications running on web pages using WebGL that are <laughs> higher fidelity than the games that I used to work on, you know, to make textures for and, and make levels for and all that kind of stuff back oh, in, the, yeah. in the late 90s. Oh, Quake was such a great game. <laughs> that was playing that. My first major startup job was at a company called GameSpy. And um, they did the, the server matching technology back when you had to run a separate application to do that. And they also ran a bunch of... They ran planetquake.com and a bunch of other video game uh, websites. We spent a lot of time playing multiplayer games, Quake, Unreal Tournament, Half-Life Deathmatch, etc., Team Fortress. And um, some of those folks were really, really, really good, like world-class level video game players. So it was sometimes a humbling experience to uh, hop on a server and just get your ass handed to you for a while. But it was a uh, very fun job and a, a very fun time. So I got introduced to Quake, just a brief side aside, I guess. I got introduced to Quake when I was uh, attending BYU. And I worked in the operation center, which was connected to the data center. We had these, uh, we had decent machines mm-hmm. in there for us to do our work on. But it was a 24-hour monitoring job, right? Uh, among other things. So during the day, we'd take calls and you'd stay pretty busy. But at night, if you got the graveyard shift and we kind of rotated through that, then half the night there was nothing to do. And so we'd get on and we would play Quake and we would, you know. Anyway, the operations center manager found out we were playing Quake and I don't know why he cared, but he decided he cared. So he came and confiscated the CDs with Quake on it. (laughs) And... uh, you know, back when you had to put the CD in your machine and leave it right. in, in order to play. Yeah. Yep. He didn't realize that the ringleaders of the, our Quake ring were the, his assistant managers, the shift managers. And the shift managers all had keys to his office. Right. So we continued to play Quake. They would just go get into his office, bring the CDs out. We would play Quake and then they'd go put them back. But yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So yeah, that that was that was me getting into IT and uh, first-person shooters. So yep, the uh, the misspent youth. I, I spent some time working in the IT department in college as well, and it was uh, Diablo was the big thing at mm-hmm. that exact time. So everybody was playing Diablo. Yeah, Diablo. That's another good one. Yep, and that's another one that I'm sure. I mean, Diablo was all pre-rendered, but I'm sure you could basically recreate it in a web page now easily. I, I, I mean, be shocked if somebody's already done it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, the original Diablo. Well, even the Diablo 2, you know, those graphics probably wouldn't be terribly hard to render either. Yep. No, you, you definitely could do it. it. was It's all 2D sprites, but there's libraries for, for doing that kind of stuff. Diablo 3 is in full 3D. I don't know if you could do that in a web page, but they've done it on just about every console platform there is to do it on. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, this is the kind of stuff where your next generation of people who are at college right now or headed into college in the next few years. Uh, I have a couple of nephews that are on their way uh, pretty soon. 
are going to have access to all of these games and, and everybody plays games now. I don't know any kids who don't play video games pretty much. And some percentage of those are going to go on to want to, to get involved in the, the creation, you know, whether they're making music, graphics, programming, whatever. And it's so straightforward now to just to either pick up something like Unity or I think even the Unreal Engine is free now. And a lot of, a lot of the scripting in that is not JavaScript based, but it's similar. So if you have some JavaScript background, you can pick that kind of stuff up pretty quickly, or you can just use WebGL and just jump right into it. Yeah, I've seen WebGL. The other thing I've seen is that some of the interface libraries are written in C, and so you can compile them however you need to. And then there are ways of bridging JavaScript to C if you're running Node, and so you can do stuff like that. Speaking of games and game engines and stuff like that, one other thing that I've seen is that uh, StarCraft, it has an API where you can actually, you know, write bots for it now. And huh. I've seen people do competitive stuff with that. And so I, I'm a little curious to see, okay, you know, do I have a system that is good enough to run JavaScript? Is that mm-hmm. going to make sense? Or it, it's interesting just to see, okay, you know, what are the real capabilities here? Yep. Well, and I think the, the capabilities are constantly expanding and people are constantly pushing the boundaries of, of what can be done it does remind me a lot of the video game ecosystem from the, the 90s when 3D was still new and people were just not entirely sure what they could do with it and how far you could push it. Uh, and it was, it was evolving very rapidly and every new generation was bringing tons of changes and tons of improvements. And I think the JavaScript's graphics coding industry or, or scene now is in a similar situation where people are pushing the boundaries. And you know what was possible six months ago is now passe and right there's all kinds of new stuff constantly happening it's hard actually for me to keep up with it because i have i have other stuff going on i'm not i'm not as involved in video games as i used to be right but much like with almost every other area of javascript there's a never-ending amount of new stuff to check out if you want to yep one other thing that i want to bring up and we've we've already been talking for about 40 35 40 minutes but uh is tensorflow js And so, I mean, the AI game is opening up to JavaScript. I've also talked to a number of companies that have systems where you can build algorithms in JavaScript and then deploy them to their systems for AI. Hmm. So that's another exciting area. Yeah, that's machine learning and AI is is an incredibly interesting area that people are already doing a lot of stuff with. I have not touched TensorFlow at all, so I can't speak from experience, but um, it certainly sounds like an amazing platform. It's something I would love to get more involved in at some point in the future when I actually have time. Yeah, when I say the things when I have time, that usually means never. But yep, it's uh, usually what happens for me is that I either am not able to get involved in these things, or it turns out somebody is willing to pay me to get involved in these things, and then it becomes like, oh yeah, I have to learn this. So, yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, One other area that I think is interesting too with JavaScript is we're starting to get to the point where we're talking about things like WebAssembly and, you know, different JavaScript engines and things like that. So, for example, mm-hmm. a lot more systems are starting to run uh, more of the WebAssembly spec. We're seeing this start to crop up in browsers and things. And another thing that's fascinating to me is I was at uh, Chain React about a week and a half ago, which is a conference for React Native. And uh, they had guys from the Facebook team there talking about how they built a new JavaScript engine to run on Android called Hermes. And it's, you know, it's stripped down 
so that it only runs the stuff that you, you know, you kind of really have to have to make the apps run. So it's not as capable as regular JavaScript, but for 80, 90% of the apps out there, they're never going to know that the other stuff isn't there. Right. They're not using it anyway. So I guess it's just interesting too, to just see, okay, not only is the ecosystem out there where things run, where those are changing, but also just, you know, how we run our code is also changing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that the different ways in which we use JavaScript has been in constant flux, basically since the language was invented. I think, you know, initially it was just how are we using it on the web, but now it is just, it's, it's spreading out like like plant roots almost where it starts it started as a small single root and now it's expanded into all of these different areas that are um it's yeah. really amazing how much you can do with the language and how many different areas there are to explore and how many different sort of entry points there are for why you might uh, want to start learning javascript or just a new area that you might want to uh might want to explore yep so if if you could go out and learn any of these areas that we've talked about, you know, whether it's machine learning with TensorFlow or some kind of home automation with IoT, Johnny 5, Cylon, or, you know, maybe it's mobile development, maybe it's some kind of on the web game development. If you could go deep on one of these areas besides, I guess, traditional web, where would you go? So I think for me, the thing that has the strongest interest is the, the AR and VR graphical environment stuff. I'm a little more interested in in AR than VR at the moment. I think that VR is super cool. It's very limited in some cases by uh, motion sickness issues. And I think AR, augmented reality, is just going to be a fascinating tech to work with and to to be involved with uh, over the next 10 years or so. I see these examples of things where you're uh, you, they're training mechanics how to put together car engines by having them working in an existing room and actually having a a bed of real tools that they're able to look at and select from. And then the AR system is basically having them build a virtual engine or as they move through the course, and I may be misrepresenting this because I saw a video on it a while back, but they end up working on a real engine, but the AR system is giving them additional data or telling them what to do with the tools as they're working. That kind of stuff is is just amazing to me. I think it's going to change the way people learn. I think it's going to change the way people interact with their environments. I think you know experiments like Google Glass and similar were maybe a little early, but I think we're headed towards a future where augmented reality is a, a part of everyday life. Whether it's people using their phones or people wearing glasses that do it or whatever, that's I'm not sure what the eventual solution is going to be for that. But that's an area that I would love to get more involved in building AR and VR apps using JavaScript, I think would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think I think that's interesting. I've had this theory for a while that IoT is going to basically be the, the eyes, ears, and hands of systems, that AR is going to be a way that we interface with those systems. And so we get to be the brain. Yep. And then since the eyes and ears feed back into machine learning systems, you know, then it can actually, you know, feed back into our AR interface and give us good information so that we can make the right decisions with the way that we interact with the world through AR and VR. And and there are so many possibilities that just come out of these things with all of these different technologies that it's it's really, really fascinating. And I agree with you. I think I think VR is going to be fun and AR is going to be the killer app. I think yep. uh, AR is going to take over essentially for what our 
smartphones do now. And I've, I've put forward before, and I still believe it, we have augmented reality now, but we have to pull it out of our pocket and turn on our phone to get it. I think that that makes a lot of sense. It's a really good way of putting it. And I think that you know, the next step there is moving forward so that you're, you're not constantly having to pull a, a device out and turn it on to get that capability. Right. I do think it's also interesting, as you mentioned, you have all of these disparate texts that have emerged that you can now use JavaScript to work on. And now it's all about getting those texts to work together and to talk to each other to, to produce something that's going to be amazing. Yep, absolutely. If I had to pick one that I could go deep on, I know it's, it's kind of old news and you know the sexy stuff's like the AI and ML stuff. But I really want to build TV apps. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put it out there. Uh, the other one that gets me is the Alexa skills. So you know, being able to actually, yeah, shut up, Alexa. Alexa, stop. <laughs> Sorry, I said the the wake word. Anyway, but yeah, just building the skills for the Echo and and just having that interface. It just fascinates me how people are able to interact with their environment and essentially have their lives made better. I mean, I've seen. You get some home automation systems, just some basic stuff. And I know some friends who have done this for themselves and for family members, especially elderly fam- family members. And then all grandma has to do is tell her Echo to turn the temperature up or down right. or answer the phone or order groceries. And it just happens. And right. all of a sudden, yeah, they might be more or less confined to their house because of mobility issues. You know, They may be able to get around the house, but not really get around the city. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, no, I think that that kind of stuff is an amazing use of the whole Internet of Things ecosystem. And it's, it's easy sometimes for me as a, you know, 40-something able-bodied person yeah. to look at it and be like, ah, it's mostly just gimmicks. I don't really need, like, I can get up and control my thermostat. I don't need to talk to it. On the other hand, I have good friends with mobility issues who having these kind of devices has literally changed their lives and improved them dramatically. So I, I do think that that's a really important thing. And I, I think it's, a, I also think, don't get me wrong, there's some stuff that's just cool to use. Oh, 100%. <laughs> doesn't matter whether it's mobility issues or not. There's just some stuff that's really interesting and fascinating. I, I think I worry sometimes about data loss to entities that I would rather not have my data or my uh, you know smart scale okay. getting hacked to use as a botnet or whatever. But for the most part, I think, those are solvable issues. They're, they're stuff that we can fix, we can improve, we can make security better. Yep. And the, the potential for the Internet of Things is, is unlimited. Yeah, I agree. The other thing is, is, I mean, we're seeing it now with like smart sprinklers and smart everything. I, I've heard theories about why you want a smart fridge. I still don't completely get that one. You yeah, know, or your smart snow, stove or whatever. But it, that's the thing is that it can be an individual decision. Yeah. It can be something where a particular feature set is very compelling to one individual for yeah. any given reason, uh, whether it's a disability issue, whether it's you know people with kids are going to have features that are more interesting than uh, they would be to people who don't have kids or whatever. There's a million different reasons why a feature set might appeal to you. And now you have the option to go out and get that if that's your, if that's your thing. Yeah, absolutely. But the other thing is, is yeah, I mean, to, to have that level of total control over your environment, yep. I think it's a really convenient and powerful thing. And we're starting to put, you know, home automation stuff into our house. So mm-hmm. we have a, my wife and I have a few minor things. We have not really gotten into the, uh, 
the thermostats and all that kind of stuff yet. Uh, and definitely our, our refrigerator is still dumb and yeah. probably will be for a long time because until it dies, we're unlikely to replace it. But you know, it's it, what is interesting to me actually about all that kind of stuff is that a while back, my TV was having some real issues and I was thinking about replacing it. Uh, in the end, I ended up actually taking it apart and replacing some of the resistors inside of it. But I was looking into smart TVs or more accurately, I was looking into any TVs and I couldn't find anything except smart TVs. Yeah. And I did some reading on it. And the reason is, is that it's actually cheaper at this point to just for the manufacturers to just produce the smart TVs. It would be more expensive for them not to because they make money on all of the bundled applications and everything that the smart TVs have. Right. So I, I thought that was just really fascinating that it's now actually cheaper to produce an internet connected television with a bunch of applications on it than it is to just produce a TV. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's interesting about a lot of this technology, and and it's going to be the same for some of these up and coming technologies like IoT and blockchain and AI and all this stuff, is yep. that you go down to Walmart and you you can get a forty or fifty inch TV for like five hundred dollars that has all those features in it. Mm-hmm. And ten years ago, that would have cost you two thousand dollars. Yeah, easily. And so yes. it's it's interesting too, just how all of this is moving forward, not just in the capabilities arena. But as these things go mainstream and we're able to produce them more efficiently, mm-hmm. the, the cost is going way, way down. Yep. As soon as you can produce and sell at scale, the, the cost just drops like a rock. And you do yep. end up with, I'm sure an awful lot of people listening to this podcast can easily relate to the experience, for example, of looking at how much RAM you can buy for 300 bucks now. Oh, yeah. How much RAM you could buy for 300 bucks in like 1996. And it's just, it's an insane exponential amount more memory. It's the same exact deal that's happening with a lot of these, just about any physical good. You yep. end up, you know, it's all about advancements in technology and scale and, and production. Yeah, but the other interesting thing with that is that it drops like a rock because if you don't lower your price, your competitor will. Right. You're going to lose out on all of that money coming in. Absolutely. All right. Well, we've been talking for about an hour. Um, wow. Is, are there any other areas that you're excited to see as far as you know capabilities or platforms uh, one, can run? One quick thing that you just mentioned briefly is is the whole blockchain thing, which I will admit my understanding of the blockchain is fairly limited. It's not something I've worked with extensively, uh, despite the fact that I've actually done work for a crypto company. It was a crypto exchange, not an actual you know cryptocurrency company, and so I was still doing JavaScript web work, but I do think blockchain tech is fascinating and I think that there's a lot to be done with it. I'm not convinced that what's currently being done with it is anything more than sort of trying to manipulate financial markets to make a quick buck. But that is probably me speaking from a level of ignorance that I should change. I suspect there are a lot of people doing a lot of interesting stuff with blockchain and I think we're going to hear more and more about that in the coming years. Yeah, I agree. And you can definitely write the you know, JavaScript to do mining and stuff too. I don't know if it's the best language for it. That's out of ignorance. It's not, you know, knocking JavaScript or anything. Yeah, um, honestly. I, I really just haven't looked into it. So, but but you can. I mean, you can mine in any language that you can generate a hash in. But yeah, yeah it's, it's fascinating too. Um, blockchain, in my opinion, is, and I've said this a couple of times and in other settings, but blockchain is, in my opinion, one killer app away from going mainstream. Yeah, I think I agree. I think it has enough support and interest on a technical level. And that's usually yeah. 
once you have that, then you just need, like you said, you need the killer app. And then all yep. of a sudden, everybody's talking about it. And I mean, Bit- it's Bitcoin... Not, it's not cryptocurrency. Close, but it's, I agree that it's not cryptocurrency. People are aware of Bitcoin, but they don't really get what it is. It's to, there's an awful lot of people who are only interested in it because of potential yeah. returns. Yeah. So, I mean, whether it's some kind of distributed, private, encrypted system or something else... And, you know, it, it may take a while before something actually hits and takes off, but yeah. yeah. Well, and you never know what's going to be the killer app until it becomes the killer app. That's yeah. almost always the way it goes. Yep. And, you know, it was the same thing with Google and Facebook and stuff. You know, all of a sudden people were like, oh, wow. You know, oh, this yeah. Is, yeah. You know, and so those were kind of killer apps for more how we interact, I guess, online mm-hmm. than anything else. But yeah, you know, you had TiVo or Roku or somebody came out with the set top streaming box and then everybody kind of went okay you know and so it took off and so we're going to see similar explosions i think vr and ar in the same boat we're we're one killer implementation away you know whatever it is that gets it from being the big dorky thing on your face to wow this is really convenient and i can take it everywhere i go that's that's when it's going to explode and and the price point i i don't know which of those is going to be the barrier that gets knocked down first but yeah when that gets figured out same same deal right and we're already seeing uh, machine learning being implemented all over the place. Yeah, um, and machine think, learning, at least uh, on a corporate use sort of level, has passed through that veil and into everybody's using it. It's sometimes people are using it without even realizing they're using it because they're using services that use it. Machine learning, I think, is there and is now in the the sort of long, slow, steady growth phase of this is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yep. I mean, I could see it having a breakthrough, but it's going to be a breakthrough in the way it's implemented and the way the algorithms work that are going to make it 10 times more effective or more broadly effective than we can currently make it. And that's that's where it'll, it'll take another upswing. But yeah, I agree with you. Hey, folks, I'm super excited to be meeting up with you at RxJS Live. Now, if you're wondering what RxJS Live is, you ought to check it out. It's at rxjs.live. RxJS is the observable library that is changing the way people write asynchronous code. If you're using it, you know what I'm talking about. And if not, you really should try it. Of course, now it has its own conference. And I'm going because I love hearing from geniuses like Ben Lesh from the core team, Jay Phelps, author of Redux Observable, and one of my JS heroes, Matt Podwysocki. If you're one of those people who keeps asking me, how do I stay current? This is the conference for you about JavaScript. A lot of modern languages and libraries are built on observables. Plus, using them is like discovering power tools after building a ton of stuff by hand. This is the Don't Miss event. Register at rxjs.live and then come find me at the conference and say hello. All right. Well, let's do some picks. Sure. Should I go first? Yeah, go for it. So what I'm picking today is kind of a concept. I have not done really any pair programming in my life before this week. That's sort of true and sort of not true in the sense that in the past, I've certainly had other developers come and look over my shoulder at something when I worked in an actual office environment. But that's not quite the same thing as having two people actually working in the same text file and being able to see their changes in real time as they as they work on it. I've done a little bit of that this week for a couple of different reasons. Uh, it's just come up with some client work and it's been easier to do that than to try to explain things over Slack or whatever. And I've found the experience mildly nerve wracking. Uh, you know, it's because you have somebody else who's just all of a sudden all up in your code. But at the same time, I found it really surprisingly useful, like more useful than I thought it was going to be when I was initially doing it. 
So I think if you haven't had any experience pair programming with somebody, I would say give it a shot. And one of the one of the easiest ways to do that is there's an extension for Visual Studio Code called LiveShare that allows you to do that. It comes with additional... It might even come actually built into Visual Studio Code, but I, I think I had to install an extension to get it working. It comes with audio so that you, if you want to be talking to somebody as you're doing it, which you, especially early on, you probably do, there's a, an additional extension you can download to do that. It's really well put together. You add some contacts, you start a thing, you can see who's editing where in the document, kind of like if you have multiple people working on a, a Google document. And um, if you're running the server through the, the terminal that's built into Visual Studio, uh, everybody additionally gets the, um, the website or other application that you're working on in their browser so they can see the changes in real time as you save the file and that kind of stuff. It's just a really cool experience. And I, I haven't, hadn't done it before, uh, you know, 20 some odd years working in this industry, still learning new stuff every single day, just about. So yeah, give it a shot. It's cool. Yeah, I love pair programming. Visual Studio Live Share is awesome. Yeah, it's really definitely get behind those. I'm going to throw out a few picks of my own. So I have been playing with Instagram lately. Yes, I'm old. And so I am behind the curve with a lot of this stuff. Everybody else is on Instagram, but me. And now I'm on Instagram too. I really like it. It's funny because my wife will go and browse for hours and hours on Facebook. And I've just never really been driven to do that. You know, I'll, I'll scroll through it for two minutes and I'm like, okay, I'm done with this stuff. And it's funny because, yeah, I get tied up on Instagram, actually. <laughs> yep. And uh, I've been posting to Instagram. I've been doing the 75 hard program, which I screwed up yesterday. I didn't read my 10 pages. So now I have to start over. I got 15 days out of 75. I've got to start over. So it's 20% the way there. But I mean, that, that's part of the deal, right? But yeah, so uh, I've been posting to Instagram. Um, you can find me on there. My handle is Charles Max Wood. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really, really enjoying being on Instagram. Still trying to figure out you know, some of the capabilities there, obviously, for promoting the shows. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hitting my stride with that and I'm enjoying it. So um, I like it a lot. It's very cool. And then I had another pick and I can't think of it now because I was talking about Instagram. I guess always the next episode. Yeah. I do want to just let people know, um, and I mentioned this on the last episode, you can go make recommendations now at javascriptjabber.com slash recommend. And then you can also join our Discord. And we've been having conversations on there. Like People were trying to figure out what one of the things that AJ talked about on a past episode. And so we finally figured it out. We found the link, folks. So yeah, if you want to just jump in, you can get involved there. We have a channel for JavaScript Jabber and you can check that out. And then the last thing is, is we've talked a lot about a lot of different things. We have new shows coming out about some of this stuff. One of them is about blockchain. So Adventures in Blockchain. I think the domain I got was adventuresinblockchain.com. But anyway, go check that out and you'll be able to uh, get all of our episodes. By the time this goes out, that, uh, that podcast should be live. We should have four or five episodes out and just some terrific stuff coming out from that show. So yeah, keep your eyes peeled. And yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, the other shows that you may... My internet died, apparently. Nope. My computer crashed. Ah. Like, totally. It's, it's rebooting right now. Okay. So anti-pick. So I sound different. Here's why. I installed the macOS Catalina beta, and it's broken. So don't do it. <laughs> Uh, wait, wait until they officially release it because I'm sure they'll work all the bugs out. The reason that I had it on there was that in the past, I had some kind of update that I needed on Mojave, I think it was. 
And uh, so I I ran the the beta and it worked fine. And so I just I've just been installing the betas since then. And yeah, upgrading to the Catalina beta has just been a disaster. So I'm going to get off the beta program as soon as I get an official release. But rolling back involves reinstalling macOS, and I just don't That's want it. tedious. Yeah. So yeah. So the other shows we have coming out. So we have open source sustainability, data science, DevOps, blockchain, and .NET. So if you're interested in any of those topics, those are the shows that we have coming out next. We have a few more in the works. I'm going to really get down and dirty and get those rolling here within the next few weeks. Now that we have traction with these shows, my goal, I've stated it before, is to have a podcast for every development community. So yeah, we're, we're not going to slow down releasing new shows anytime soon. So uh, anyway, keep an eye out for those. Um, we're looking for sponsors. We're looking for guests. So yeah, any help you can offer there would be awesome. All right, Chris. Well, it was good to talk. Always a pleasure. And let's go ahead and wrap this one up. We'll talk again next week. Sounds good. See everybody later. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.